Good, good. Man, I'm, okay, first, uh, before we get into the message, I want to address the wagon in the room. There is a wagon in the room. Uh, that is uh, decorations for PDC tonight, and uh, Myra and, and uh, texted Bethany, and I was like, is it okay if we put that up there? And I was like, actually, that will be a great sermon illustration, but we'll get to that in a minute. So uh, anyway, I, if, I've been asked about 12 times by my five children already, why is there a wagon on the stage? So just so everybody can focus in on what the Lord has today, there's a wagon on the stage. Uh, also, I, I just want to remind, I think it's good for us to remember these things, that today is Epiphany Sunday, which is the day that we, we kind of... Um, remember and recognize that this is when the wise men visited Jesus. Like, it's a common misconception that, like, Jesus, like, boop, popped out, and the wise men were like, hi, you know, uh, that's not actually how it worked. There was some time in between, and so today is Epiphany Sunday, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in detail um, later, but, but anyway, um, I, am, I am really excited for today for a couple of reasons. Number one, God has been speaking so much the last two weeks. You know, it's, um, I've talked about this before at the beginning of the year. This is where uh, everybody makes New Year's resolutions and you think about like what the last year has been about and you think about what the next year is going to hold and you're praying through that. Leah kind of attested to that this morning. And, and the same is true for me personally, but also it's a time of the year where I'm asking God, what do you got for the next year, right? We, we all know that we ended our study in James and then we did some Christmas stuff and, and then now what's next? Because I, I need that structure in my life. And so God has been faithful to speak this week to that, and so today is kind of preparation for moving us in that direction. Um, but before we get to all of that, I want to I do two things. Number one, I want to just say um, that between the testimonies this morning and the things that Leah has shared, like my sermon has already been preached, um, and that always gets me so amped up because the things that you guys have been talking about is what God's been speaking to me all week, so I'm excited to kind of roll that out for you in this morning. But before we get to that, I want to take a few moments this morning. Um, I like to do this in this part of our worship service. Um, I wanted to do our, our vote of affirmation over the budget, and the reason that I want to do it now is because I feel like, this is just me, but I feel like when we do it like at the end of announcements, it's almost like an afterthought. But the budget is, for me, is a lot bigger than our finances. It is um, what we have been praying about in terms of what ministry is going to look like for the Gathering Place West for the next year. And so um, we've asked, the elders have asked that you guys over the last three or four weeks be prayerfully praying over that, considering it, and asking the Lord to affirm it. And so if God has affirmed that in your heart, would you please um, say that to the body by saying yes? Okay, and if there's anybody who has not gotten that affirmation for God, would you please say no? All right, the yeas have it. I love it. All right, that was way easier than whatever's been happening in D.C., wasn't it? It's so much better when God's leading the show. All right, so um, let's see, where are we at? All right, I got to scoot, scoot forward here a little bit. So God's got some really cool stuff in store for, other, uh, for us this year. One of the things that I'm really excited about that you guys just affirmed that it's about to start happening, and I'm glad you did because I've already planned some of it, is um, I'm going to take some writing retreats. Um, six times this year, I'm going to take off work from Petron on a Friday and spend Friday and Saturday just with the Lord, preparing for the, the next eight sermons that will follow that. Um, and when I'm doing that, Carrie is going to, I'll be here the Sunday morning of that retreat, but I don't want to spend that retreat preparing for one Sunday morning. And so Carrie um, and maybe Ben, we're still trying to, trying to twist Ben's arm. We'll see what happens with that. I'm not feeling positive about it. But anyway, Carrie for sure um, is, Ben is back there. Mm -mm. Um, Carrie is going to fill in. And so um, 
just kind of as some housekeeping stuff, next week is going to be what we traditionally call our Vision Sunday. So I'll share a lot more detail about what I'm going to talk about today. Bethany's going to have an opportunity to share what God's saying to her about Next Gen Ministries. Um, and then the Sunday after that, we're starting a new study. And so we'll do the introduction to that study, and Carrie will be doing that. That's not a Sunday to skip, okay? Um, that's a Sunday to be here because it's going to set up everything we're going to talk about for, I don't know, the next year or so after that. I hadn't planned that far out yet because I hadn't done my retreat yet. So we'll figure out what God's going to do from there. So what is our mission? This is, a, this is an answer out loud. We've talked about it uh, about, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. What is our mission at the gathering place? What is the one thing that we know that we're supposed to do? Anybody? Leading people. Thank you. The kids from the mouths of babes, right? Thank you. Is that Luke that said that? I thought that was Luke. All right. Our mission is to lead people to know God. That's who we are. That is what we do. Okay? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and undoubtedly you guys have noticed that we've been sending out more people than we've been bringing in. Right? It's no secret. There's no reason for guilt or shame in that. But sometimes we've got to address the wagon in the room. Right? We've got to talk about it. And we all know that God is the one that does the work of calling people to himself. Ultimately, it's up to him to grow our church. And we all agree with that, right? It's God's response. He's the one that does it. But we also know that the way that God wants to do that is through us, through you and through me. That's how the church grows. In fact, as we, as we think about it, as we look at our own spiritual maturity, over the last several years, when I look at how I've grown and how you've grown, I, I just want to say how proud I am. Like, we have come a long way in the last several years. Not, I'm not saying that we were in a bad place and now we're in a better place. I'm saying I see growth in all of our lives, and that's the point of all of this. I want you to hear that because if you don't, there's going to be an opportunity for you today to walk away from this message feeling guilty, and that is the opposite of what God wants to happen today. Today, I'm going to share a lot of different quotes from you, and these are things that God, these are selections out of my quiet time of different devotionals that I've read, where God has been speaking this same message over and over and over for the last two weeks. And some of these you guys may have read yourself. Some of the stuff I read is stuff that you're reading. Um, Oswald, Utmost for His Highest. I know a lot of people in here read that every day. I know some of you read some A.W. Tozer stuff, but I got a few things that are a little more obscure, aren't as readily available that I read regularly. But I want to share some of this stuff with you because God was saying things like this this week. This is uh, from Oswald Chambers. It says, no matter what changes God has wrought in you, never rely upon them. Build only on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and on the spirit he gives. Let God alone. In other words, let him work. Don't stop him. Don't prevent him from kindling your heart, from blessing you and leading you out of a common state into that of a special longing after him. Matthew, this is in a different devotion altogether, but in Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, this came up. It said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Church, we have grown tremendously in the last four years since I've been pastor here. But we are far from finished, and that gets me so excited because I love what we do here, and I love our church, and I love the way it feels, and I know that if we continue to pursue God, it's only going to get better. God's got so much for us to experience, and so this year, this is what God's been speaking over and over and over, knowing God is going to be our only priority. 
And I know you're like, well, that's, all, that's always kind of been our priority, right? That's the intent. But nothing's changing. God's got some work he wants to do in, our, in the life of our church. But the only way that happens is if God is our only priority. There's another one from Oswald. It says, if we never had the experience of taking our commonplace religious shoes off, our commonplace religious feet, and getting rid of all the undue familiarity with which we approach God, it is questionable whether we have ever stood in his presence. The people who are flippant and familiar are those who have never yet been introduced to Jesus Christ. After the amazing delight and liberty of realizing what Jesus Christ does, comes the impenetrable darkness of realizing who he is. Church, here's the thing. We live in a country and in a culture that claims to be Christian. This is the reality that we live in. Whether you agree with it, whether you partake in that or not, that's up to you. But the reality is our culture, the United States, for the most part, claims to be a Christian nation. That's how we want to be known. The idea of faith in Jesus have become, has become so commonplace and familiar feeling that people don't really know who Jesus is. And I think that is part of what David's co-worker was expressing today, this, or that he shared today, that this people call themselves believers, but when you look at their lives and you look at the Bible, you go, these don't add up. And why is that? Right? I find it fascinating that Oswald identified this problem in the late 1800s, and it's still a problem today. I want us to think about it this way. So up here in this card, if you didn't come look today, um, there's a lot of goodies. There's legumes, and there's grains, and there's a head of cabbage, and uh, there's some oranges, and there's some apples. And um, raise your hand if you like oranges. Okay? All right. Awesome. Everybody in the room just about. Okay. Okay. Here's what I want to ask you. If you like oranges, you're probably aware that there are many different varieties of orange, right? Everybody know that? Okay. Out loud, name some of the varieties that you like. Mandarin, navel, what else? Satsuma, good. Anybody else? Orange, the orange kind? Uh, Yep, good. All right. Um, What about the plastic kind? Nobody nobody mentioned the plastic, but... Because here's the thing, I got, I got two oranges right here. Um, this one is the plastic variety, and I picked it fresh off the shelf at Hobby Lobby yesterday. Like, and, and me and the boys, like, we looked at all of them, and this was the best-looking orange, right? And, I mean, look at it. That looks like a nice orange, doesn't it? Like, if you saw these two in a, in a bowl next to each other, and I just picked this one at random, like, without touching it, I'm going for the bigger one, Right? But what's, what's, if you go to get a snack or breakfast and you, and you pick this orange, what's the problem? It's plastic. You can't eat plastic, right? I mean, you can. You should not. Maybe it's, yeah, it's plastic. That's what it feels like. The problem is it's not real. And the problem that Oswald is addressing and the thing that God's been telling me over and over for the last few weeks is that most of the people that call themselves a followers of Christ are a plastic orange. They're not real. As a culture, we have learned to look the part. Our faith has become so commonplace, as Oswald said, that most people believe that no one can tell the difference between real faith and culture. Just like this orange, we may look the part, but that doesn't do anyone any good. There's no nutritional value in that. 
God has called us to be a people and to do something unique in this world. Do you remember why God set Israel apart? He set them apart after he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. We read about this in the book of Exodus because he said, I want people to know through you that I am the one true God. Church, that mission has not changed. That is still what God wants to accomplish in us. Israel didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had laws in the presence of God in this other place. But we have the Holy Spirit. And God is restoring our world right now. He is redeeming His creation. We talked about this the last couple of years. He is redeeming the world through us. But I think we don't fully understand that. I watched a video this week. We're fixing to watch it because they'll make it a whole lot clearer than I will. This is one of the the videos from the Bible Project. But here's what I want us to understand. God wants us to join Him. But I think that we are often satisfied casually looking on from the sidelines. But there is a work that God is doing. And this ain't going to cut it. Let's watch this video together. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning, where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together, perfectly no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted got out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. 
but not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. He heaven is here. It's here. It's not something that will happen one day. We are living in the kingdom now, not waiting for it to come. Our lives aren't meant to prepare us for some place in the future. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God 
with him. Jesus came and he fulfilled, and I want to put an emphasis on the fact that it has been done. It's past tense. Jesus has fulfilled the promises of God in bringing the kingdom. God's kingdom is here on earth right now. Listen to what what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. Flip over there with me real quick. This is uh, Mark 1.1. It just kind of frames it. It says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're about to hear what Jesus taught. If you're going to ask anybody what the good news is, probably the best person to ask is Jesus himself, right? This is what he says in the Gospel of Mark. Mark tells us what Jesus said the good news is. Look at it. It's verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. It says, after John was arrested, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So he's going to Galilee to proclaim what? The good news. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Do you, do you see what Jesus is saying and what the Bible Project did so well at explaining? The kingdom is here. Heaven is here on earth. It is something that is happening right now. When Jesus came and he lived and he died, he began that process of redemption that could not happen without him. And it is still happening until he returns. And guess what? We get to be a part of it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is not something that we are, we are not living this Christian life to check all the boxes so that when we die, we get to into heaven and Jesus be like, good job, bro. We are doing this. This life is about being with Jesus right now in heaven, here on earth. This is God's plan for us. This is why knowing God must be our only priority because it's all that matters. Now you may be saying, Will, but I got a job. Yeah, I got one too. Will, I got a family to take care of. Yeah, I got, I got one too. But if I put those things in priority above God, I'm not living in heaven on earth now. There's another video I can show you later where the guy Tim Mackey, who was one of the writers of this, says that the whole purpose of Jesus coming is to get the hell out of us. Because without the kingdom, this is hell. It's separation from God. Spurgeon said this week, He who grows not in the knowledge of Jesus refuses to be blessed. To know Him is life eternal. And to advance in the knowledge of Him is to increase in happiness. He who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of Him yet. It is in the knowing the person of Jesus that we live in the kingdom. This is the gospel. God is in the process of restoring his kingdom on earth and he intends to use you and I. I think that many or much of the disconnect for so many who want to know God, who want to understand grace and want to abide, they simply don't because they, they don't get it. They don't understand that all of that is not about preparation for the future. It's about right now. It's about what God wants to do in your life in this moment today on a Sunday. 
It's about what God wants to do Monday morning when you get to work and, and all of the stuff that you thought you were going to get thrown out of the window because there's an emergency you have to deal with. That moment when everything falls apart is still heaven on earth. When we don't make the daily decision to abide, we are inadvertently deciding not to live in the kingdom for that day. We are saying that living in this broken world is better than living in the kingdom. That's the decision that we're making. When we decide to live for ourselves and say, you know what, I know God has this thing I need to do today, but I'm just, I'm not feeling it. We're deciding that the the kingdom activity that God wanted us to be in on is somehow lesser than this other thing that we want to do more. For most of my life, I was taught how to be a fake orange, and I got really good at it, really good at it. And I know that many of you did as well. We were delicious looking, but we were hollow on the inside and nothing of any real substance there. Take this week, for example. God has been speaking tremendously in my life, revealing the plans that he has for us. And if I chose to do something else instead of spending that time with him, saying, God, what what do you want for our church? If I had spent my time doing anything else, I'd have missed it, and so would you because I wasn't abiding. God isn't asking us to do something new this year. He's asking us to continue to do what he's been saying all along. Know me and make me known. Abide in Jesus and enjoy living in the kingdom. And the third point I have for today is to spread the person of Jesus, not a cheap imitation. I heard one of my devotions this week, David, said, um, don't be an undercover Christian. The, 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 the devotion was saying that if, if you know people for, for years, and then one day they're like, oh, you're a Christian? You've been doing it wrong. Now, I'm not picking on David. He, he, they know he's a believer. They just didn't know he was a minister. That's okay. I don't advertise it either. But if people don't know you're a believer, you're doing it wrong. This came up in my reading this week as well. Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Y'all know this one. It says, blessed are those who hunger. Oh, nope, that's the other one I read a while ago. 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Church, God is endlessly fascinating. And as we experience kingdom life here on earth, the natural response to that is going to be to tell people. The reason David was prepared when that lady said, if you got any old devotional material you got laying around, he's like, yeah, I got it. He was prepared because he's living in the kingdom. I'm not saying that you all aren't, okay, just so we're clear on that. But that's what happens when we're living in the kingdom. When we are aware of God's activity in our lives because we are abiding, the moment that there is a need that comes up or a person asks the question, we're ready because we're in the middle of God's activity. You've heard me say this before, but we love to talk about things that we love. 
right? I, you probably have heard some recipes from me before, multiple times, and you're probably like, oh, God, here goes Will talking about cooking again. You know why? I love to eat. And you know what you got to do before you can eat? You got to cook something. And so the process is fascinating to me, and so I talk about it all the time. I've got every cooking apparatus you could ever imagine. You need cast iron? I've got two of every kind, okay? And you know why? Because I like it. And I use it, and I talk about it until people are here, tired of hearing about it. But that's what we do when we love things. Somebody has their first grandbaby, that's all you're going to hear about. The lady that used to be the secretary in my office, I know all of her grandbabies' names. I know how much they weigh. I know where they're going to school at. I know their parents' names. You know why? Because that's all she talked about. And that's good. That's what you're supposed to do. My point is, is that if we are living in the kingdom, if we are living in the kingdom on earth right now in love with Jesus, we are naturally going to talk about him. It's going to be part of our normal, everyday conversations. Church, this year is going to be a building year for us. God wants us to grow our church. And you guys know me well enough to know that I am not the kind of person that is motivated by numbers. That's not me. But we've been sending people out, but we've not been bringing any in. And God has called us to share the gospel. And part of sharing the gospel is inviting people in to discover who God is with us. We're going to talk about more next week some of the tools that God's going to give us to help us in that endeavor. However, the primary way that we're going to bring people into the church is by diving deeper into our personal relationships with God. Because the more we love Him, the more we're going to talk about Him. And the more people are going to see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. That's how it works. We're not going to do media campaigns or program overhauls or any, none of that stuff. That's not, our, that's not what we're going to, that's not the tools God's giving us. We're going to come to know him better. I mean like really know him. We're going to be a light in the darkness that Tozer was talking about earlier. Or as Jesus said it, a city on a hill. We're going to be like those little dots that were on the screen a while ago bringing the kingdom of heaven into the world around us. We're going to do that as we study the Luke of Gospel, or the Gospel of Luke. And I'm really excited about this. Luke, uh, and we'll talk more about this, Carrie will talk about this more in the introduction, but Luke is a, a traveling companion of Paul. He was not one of the disciples. He also wrote the book of Acts. It's like the sequel to the book of Luke's, book of Luke. And, and he is a Gentile. And so he is writing about the activity and the life and the person of Jesus from someone who is not in the Jewish community and culture. And I'm so excited for us to walk through that book together and to discover the person and the mission of Jesus. That's going to be our focus, is just knowing Jesus as we study this book together. We're going to see what it looks like to live in God's kingdom on earth, and we're going to learn how to bring that kingdom with us everywhere we go. So that as I'm off to work, there's a little bubble with a cross in it going with me. That I'm bringing heaven with me. And the same is going to be true for you. This morning, I want to take some time for us to reflect on the reality of what God is saying. Not only did Jesus live and fulfill the promises that God made to his people thousands of years ago, but he did it by sacrificing himself for our sake. We talked about this a lot through the Christmas season. As we talk about growing spiritually, as we talk about growing our church, we need to realize that God is asking us to live like Jesus. 
to be the kind of people who put the, the other people in a place of priority over ourselves, that we are willing to live sacrificially. And obviously we cannot do that in our own power. It's, you know, I, I was listening to a, um, a podcast that I've mentioned many times before, the 10-minute Bible hour, and he's doing, it's, we'll plug, shamelessly plug here. Um, he just started a week ago. He's doing one book of the Bible every day until he gets done. And so it's 10, 15 minutes overview of the whole Bible. And we got the boys and I were listening to it yesterday. And we got to the book of Leviticus. And he said, this is the place that all yearly Bible studying projects go to die, is the book of Leviticus. Okay? We can't do this in our own power. If we just be like, yep, we're going to grow the church. We're going to do the thing. And uh, like Leah was talking about a while ago, like, God, watch us. We're going to do it. We're going to do the thing. We're going to invite some people. We're going to fizzle out real fast. This is not about what we can do. It's about us living in the kingdom. It's about us diving deeper into our relationship with God. It's about us abiding. We're going to see opportunities for us this year to die to ourselves in ways that we haven't before. We're going to see opportunities for us to live for others in ways that we haven't before. And we're going to do that not because we have to, but because we want to. This morning, Utmo said this, and Abraham built an altar and bound Isaac his son to it. That's out of Genesis 22, verse 9. He said, this incident is a picture of the blunder we make in thinking that the final thing God wants for us is the sacrifice of death. What God wants is a sacrifice through death, which enables us to do what Jesus did, sacrifice our lives. Not, I'm willing to go to death for thee, but I am willing to be identified with thy death so that I may sacrifice my life to God. We seem to think that God wants us to give up things. God purified Abraham from his blunder, and the same disciple goes, same discipline goes on in our lives. God nowhere tells us to give up things for the sake of giving them up. He tells us to give them up for the sake of the only thing worth having, which is Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 through 20, and we're going to study this in detail later. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said to them, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Church, there's nothing more important for us in this moment than to identify with the death of Jesus. When we take the Lord's Supper or communion or whatever you grew up calling it, this moment is for us to take these elements the, the cracker and the juice that represent the body and the blood of Christ. And to take just a moment to understand the reality of what he did for us so that we didn't have to do it for ourselves. And we watched a video a while ago where it was kind of silly and they <whistles> sliced the, the lamb's head. That was a sharp knife. Did y'all notice that? And then the, later the lamb's head rolled off. Church, that's what used to have to happen until Jesus came. And we don't have to do that. We don't have to live that lifestyle anymore because he did it for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed for our forgiveness so that God could establish his kingdom here on earth. 
want to ask Mike and Debbie to come up. They're going to serve this morning. I want to ask you guys to, to just come to the center aisle and walk up, and they'll give you the elements. They're going to hand it to you. Um, and then take it and go back to your seat and have a seat, and we'll take all of those together. So if you would, go ahead and come up. Everybody's invited. Kids too, y'all can come. Church, Jesus lived and he died and he was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins, to restore the perfect world that he created for us to enjoy. As we take these elements today, as we, as we eat this cracker and we drink this juice, we do this to remember. Jesus said when he sat at the disciples at the table, he said, do this in remembrance of me. There's nothing special about the juice and there's nothing special about this cracker. This is an activity for us to, to take a moment to pause and to think about the fact that he did this for us. And not only did he do it for us, but he wants us, he wants us to help people to understand this. He wants the people in our lives to know that they don't have to be good enough to be loved by God because we weren't good enough to be loved by God. Jesus loves us, and it is our call. It is our holy commission by Jesus himself to share that with the people in our lives. So this morning, take the bread and eat it in remembrance of him. This is his body broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Bow your head and pray with me, please. Father, I am, I am personally in awe of who you are and the, the desire that you have to work in my life and the lives of my friends and family in this room. God, it is my hope, it is my prayer, it is my desire that as we leave from this place today that we are leaving with, with joy, with, with hope, with excitement about the fact that we get to do this with you. God, that we're not preparing for something way off in the future, but that you have done all this so that we can know you now, that we can live in the kingdom of God here and now today. God, I pray that you would give all of us a greater desire to know you, that when we wake up in the morning, that our first thought would be of you. Father, that you would give us a desire to know you, to study your word, to spend time in prayer, to share the struggles that we have, to share the joys that we have, to, to have a moment of thankfulness for you. And Father, that that would carry over into the rest of our day and that as we go to school and to work and to wherever else it is that you take us that day, Father, that we would bring the kingdom of heaven with us as we go. And Father, that people would see you through our actions and give you glory for it. That they would recognize that something 
is different about these people. And Father, you would give us an opportunity to share with them that it's you. Jesus, I, I ask, I beg this of you in your name. Amen.